There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. We're going to preview the fifth and final Magellan Ashes test in Sydney. And to do so, we are privileged to welcome back an Unplayable Podcast favourite and a cricket.com.au senior writer, Andrew Ramsey. Welcome back, Rambo. Thank you, Sam. It's a pleasure to be back on the podcast. Uh, I've missed it. You've missed it? Well, you haven't been listening to it? No, I've just missed it. Have you done an episode since <laughs> yeah. the end of the India tour? Uh, just a couple. Mike Hussey, you know, don't worry about that guy. How have you been? Christmas last year? What did Santa bring? Um, a five-day test in Melbourne, which was very good of him. It's the gift that kept on giving um, and <laughs> never like it was ever going to stop. But no, it's a long time ago. I can't cast my mind back that far. I'm an old man and uh, memory fails. Well, fortunately, we're going to recap it very briefly now. Australia won the toss. They elected to bat. They made 327. David Warner struck 103, but then they lost 7 for 67 to give England the momentum. Alistair Cook then made 244 not out as England piled on 491. But on a flat pitch, a draw was inevitable. Warner made 86 in the second inning. Steve Smith, an unbeaten 103, and the match was called off an hour early with Australia. Four for 263 from 124.2 overs. Rambo... Overall, it was 3-0 heading into that test match. They left Melbourne 3-0. Didn't learn a whole lot from the teams, but it was good to see England put up a bit of a fight. Uh, they were probably, well, they were certainly for the last two days the only team that could get a win out of that game. So they put themselves in a position whereby they could have forced a result if they could have got through a couple of Australian batters. Uh, but as we know, getting past Steve Smith is a bit like uh, trying to overtake a couple of semi-trailers on the uh, the Hume Highway at uh, it looks easy from a distance, but when you get up close, there's just no way through. Now, David Warner, 103 from him. He had a bit of a quiet series until then. 151 balls for his 100, 13 fours and a six. That's 21 test hundreds now for the vice captain. Uh, he almost didn't get there, Andrew. Caught on 99, but it turned out to be a no ball. And I think that may have been the flurry of the game's excitement right there in the space of about 90 seconds uh, when he was out and walking off and then recalled and when the uh, no ball overstep was shown on the big screen there was a great hullabaloo in the crowd there was much cheering and uh, gnashing of barmy army teeth um, and then came back and got 100 off the very next ball so it was all compacted into uh, that little period and the days either side didn't yield a lot else I'm afraid he got 86 in the second innings he tried to slog Joe Root out of the rough and got caught skying to cover but uh, probably an important innings for him uh, such a, an important player for Australia Rambo and for him not to get runs in those first three test matches would have been weighing on his mind would have been good to just get it, off, get it out of the way and get 100 of the MCG relax batting uh, yes, and it was probably a, an innings that you'll never see the likes of again from David Warner, his second innings, where he uh, potted along at a, a very, very... I think it was scoring rate was about 26 or 27 for a, per 100 balls at one point there, which is uh, in opposition to his career strike rate of closer to 80. So uh, it was a, a very uncharacteristic 
innings. Um, in fact, the one sort of overtly attacking shot he tried to play was the one he got out from. Um, and I think, and I, I don't have a research team anymore, obviously, because my budget's been cut, but uh, I think if he'd got to 100, he would have been the first player ever to have scored 200s in the same Test match on four occasions. Who are the other three? Uh, well, it's obviously is, is the same answer to every trivia question. is Bradman, Bradman and Bradman. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, uh, the other opener, England's opener, Alistair Cook, he is renowned for making uh, gritty and grinding hundreds, and he certainly did that in Melbourne. 244 of him, he snapped a, a 10-match streak without a 50. 244 from a 409 balls, 27 fours, 634 minutes. In fact, remember, he was on the field for every minute of the entire match. Uh, a lot of pressure about around him about his test spot, his test future, but in one innings, or about 11 hours, he sort of silenced them and it looks like he's got a couple of years left in him. And got his name up on the, not just on the, the history boards, but uh, above a bar in Melbourne, which is most unusual for us, of course, because he's not a big user of those sorts of facilities. An outstanding effort, and uh, it is probably worthy that he finished the tour with something because he has been a great player, even if... Um, he has struggled in the early part of this tour. Yes, and you know, it's, very, it's such a field game, isn't it, Test cricket? I mean, Steve Smith put him down in the 60s. He got dropped just after he made his 100 as well. I mean, if he... Smith I don't think he was playing in the 60s, was he? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm not sure. You you probably know better than most, but uh, he was at first slip. Cook uh, edges Mitchell Marsh, bowling from around the wicket. Tim Payne standing up the stumps. Smith at first slip. Was it unsighted for a little bit? He takes that catch. He had two, two grabs at it, but he puts it down... We might be talking about a completely different Alistair Cook right now, but as it is, he made on, went on and made 180 more, and now he's set for years to come. He could keep playing for as long as he wants, really. Um, and I did see an interesting batting chart at the end of his innings, or very late in his innings, because there's been this criticism of Alistair Cook that he's the man who's made the most ever test runs without possessing an off-drive. And uh, the batting chart showed that... Uh, the number of runs he scored between straight hit and extra cover was one during that innings of 244 so it may go a long way to proving that theory but as you showed you've got enough you know, square of the wicket strokes and straight back down the ground strokes this was one of his strengths um you don't need to punch it through the offside field you can just uh, you play to your strengths i guess the other thing with cook is that you only want to replace a player with someone who could do the job better and as we've seen, England's batting uh, has been fragile in the past 12 months and exposed a little bit here in Australia. Probably is anyone to replace him. Uh, there's no standout candidates, I don't think. And the other thing that um, people have said is that you know, no one's ever doubted his ability to bat and bat long periods of time and score big scores. Um, it's just whether having been relieved of the captaincy or stood down from the captaincy, whether he had the the kind of will to drive himself on to, to put himself through it. But he's practised very hard on this trip. We, we've seen him in Adelaide uh, in the heat of the day, a couple of days before the test there, having solo net sessions. He was the one England player out there working on his game. Um, it didn't look like a guy who was about to step away and lose interest, and I think he showed in Melbourne that he still has an appetite for it. So he's only 33. He could keep yeah. playing for years. That's right. Uh, Steve Smith. He's in the form of his life. 102, he got, apologies for saying 103 early. 102 not out. He's 23rd test ton. He's averaging just 151 for this series. He got 76 in the first inning as well. He was spewing that he got out there. He reckons he threw a test match century away there as well. Rambo just said <laughs> getting uh, Steve Smith out has become very difficult for England. Uh, how do they do it? I mean, when, he's on a, when the ball's not swinging around, a little bit of trouble 
in Adelaide, especially in the evening when that new pink ball was swinging around corners by James Anderson. But when it's off the straight and there's not much help on the, off the wicket, how do you get him out? Uh, if they knew the answer to that, they probably would have got him out before now. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. If the ball's not doing anything, um, he just looks in a different league to everyone else. And there's a lot of other batters. You can just rely on them to make him concentration mistake or um, getting fatigued or perhaps just running out of the wheel to stay out there, but he loves batting so much. He talks about the fact that uh, if he could stay on the field for five days of a test batting, he would. He doesn't like watching cricket. He doesn't like sitting in the rooms watching the game, which I assume means he won't ever go on to a commentary career when he finishes playing. Um, so all those other factors that come into the equation with other batters don't seem to apply to him. Um, he wants to stay out there. He wants to keep hitting the ball on the ground. He keeps tinkering with his technique depending on what they try. Um, his strategies change during the course of the game so it must be incredibly frustrating to bowl to him or at him and I think even his own teammates say that they hate bowling to him in the nets he's just such a competitive character now every time he reaches another milestone whether it be number of runs scored centuries made at the moment it's just Bradman ahead of him um, until it gets, it gets aggregate and then basically innings more than 80 which is after Bradman had retired the other name that's always on that list is Gavaska so I can imagine what it would have been like when, when it was this time of his career, how crazy it would have been in the subcontinent and just the, the comparisons that we're making now with, between Smith and Bradman, but it would have been Gavaska and Bradman as well at that time. Uh, true, and uh, the other thing about Sonny Gavaskar was that he was an opening batter, so he was doing it against the new ball, and he did it in an era when you know, the West Indies were thundering their way around the world, so he was having to front up to them um, I made a lot of those big scores he made when he sort of debuted in the late 60s um, and he was probably past his best when the West Indies were really dominant but to do it as an opening batter and he was another one of those guys who could, a bit like Alistair Cook, he just liked batting, he just stayed out there and stayed out there and once he got through the, the new ball period there wasn't much he could do. He was a little compact player who had uh, not a huge array of shots but um, knew his game and which is a bit like Smith, just knocked the ball into the gaps where there, there aren't fielders so... Uh, I think that's the similarity with Bradman, is that they just have this massive appetite for it and don't want to get out, so they don't even contemplate playing risky shots. It's just uh, into the gaps along the ground and defend furiously. There's a lot of defensive shots in that second innings in Melbourne. Mitchell Marsh, known for his attacking prowess, he was resolute in defence. Rambo, he backed up that 181 he scored in the third test, his first of the series, with uh, 29 from 166 balls and just the three boundaries. How impressive has he been? He's sort of a, this is Mitchell Marsh version, I don't know what, 2.0, 3.0? He's been in and out of the side a few times, but right now he seems like he's found a way to bat. Uh, he's really comfortable with his game and he's really excelling at test match level. I think he, well, the captain, Steve Smith, said as they're walking off the ground at the end of the test, uh, Mitch Marsh having made, as you say, 29 from 200 minutes of batting, said to his captain, I'm really proud of that Um uh, because it was an innings that 12 months ago he didn't think he would have been able to play. Coming in the situation he did, where the game was pretty much on the line, they were only 15 or so ahead and four wickets down when he went out to bat, and the ball was reverse swinging. He said he felt like he could have got out any delivery from the first 20 or so that he faced, so he was um, certainly no sure thing when he got out there, even though it was a flat pitch. Um, but then to be able to do that, stay out there for the, that time, save the game, play an innings that's so completely out of character and trust his defence as they like to say which hasn't been his strong suit probably in years gone by. He also revealed exclusively to 
a group of us yesterday, which probably means he didn't reveal it exclusively, does it? That makes it a group chat. Mm. Um, that he's worked on a few mental things in his batting. He's managed to learn the art of switching off between balls. If you watch him, he could have walks out towards square leg and undoes his batting gloves and then walks back to the wicket before he does them up again. That's his little sign that I can switch off for a, a few seconds and before I can switch back on. He said before that his mind was always just kind of idling and um, he didn't have that little release that the best batsmen have so they can keep themselves fresh for long periods out there. So he's been tinkering with quite a few things and it's obviously working. It is working. Uh, we'll finish off with an Englishman, Stuart Broad, a bit like Cook. He's had a, an underwhelming series up to that point. Hadn't taken a wicket for 70-odd overs. Question marks were being, again being raised about his future. I mean, he's only 31. Cook's 33. But he took four wickets in the first innings, bowled very well. He also got a very handy 56 and sort of flayed the bat there and survived a couple of short balls when he first got in there and took a wicket in the second innings out of Sean Marshall. Good ball on a pretty dead wicket that lifted and took the outside edge and a good catch by Johnny Besto with the gloves. Remember, he's a, a class bowler. He's taken a lot of wickets and like Cook, he's probably got a couple of years left in him at least. Uh, you'd think so, although fast bowling is probably a slightly more attritional art than uh, opening the batting that like Alistair Cook does. Um, he's one of those bowlers that when he's on, and he was on for a couple of spells in that Melbourne test, he just looks like he's going to take wickets in clumps, which he's done. I mean, one only has to cast one's mind back to Trent Bridge when uh, I think he took a clump of eight in the space of <laughs> uh, less than two hours. Yeah. Um, but And even the fact that he was scoring runs, I mean, he's, he's baiting. This he, guy's got a top test score of around 170 or something, so he can obviously bat, but he hasn't shown any inclination for it in the last little while. So to stay out there on that pitch, I mean... That was an indication of probably how slow it was that even the short stuff they bolted him just sort of sat up and he was able to, to deal with it. Um, so that may help him rediscover his appetite for it. He didn't look that interested in the, the test in Perth. He said he was bowling to save runs rather than take wickets, which is not his go. Um, I think he struggled with a bit of a knee complaint while he's been out here as well. So maybe if he gets that fixed up, you think he could go on for another year or two because, uh, let's face it, Jimmy Anderson's 35 and he's still going all right. So... Um, that might be something that uh, keeps Stuart Broad, he'll get back to an English summer next year or this year and uh, that's the conditions he loves. On he rolls. Alright, let's have a look at the fifth test now. In the fourth test there was no Mitchell Stark. That's the big question leading up to this game. Will he play? Will he make his comeback? Remember we saw him train today thundering down a few deliveries at the Aussie batsman. He looks pretty good. Pat Cummins spoke to the, the press and exclusively revealed that uh, Stark is very confident that he's going to play, that his heel feels good. That bruised heel feels pretty good and he won't need to be rested. But Glenn McGraw also spoke and he said if Stark's not 100%, 100% fit, he wouldn't play him with the South Africa Test Tour in mind, which is about six weeks away. So remember, what do you reckon? Is Mitchell Stark going to play or should they just... Ease off a little bit. The series is wrapped up. Play a second spinner here, maybe, and give Stark the test off. Uh, yeah, I think if you knew the answer to that, you could probably solve um, many an issue uh, of greater consequence, too, with that sort of foresight. I don't know. He didn't exactly train the house down. He, he, what's a little sort of room you have on the back of the house? Is it like a lean-to or something? Uh, he, may, or something. he may have trained that Outhouse. down uh, in what was a fairly short, sharp session, but he didn't look to be inconvenienced. And I'm assuming that they wouldn't have said to him, go out and bowl off your full run if they thought there was some lingering doubt because a, a bruise, if you aggravate it or it uh, begins to get sore again, then I assume that 
was something that would have kept him out for quite some time. So clearly they think he's right to go. It's a question of whether they think long-term there's any potential for damage. Uh, they might look at the pitch here and think it's not a hard surface. It might be the sort of surface that he bowls a right on. He might be able to help them wrap the game up quickly, which is a, a bonus for the other members of the attack who were fatigued after a, a long summer. So... Um, I think you'd have to be 100% right. They wouldn't risk it otherwise. But from everything he showed today, you'd just have to think that he was a likely starter and it would only be if he pulled up sore that they might consider resting him. And he's such an asset to the team for lots of reasons. A couple being, one, he's a left-armer, so he offers that point of difference in the attack, which also helps out Nathan Lyon. There was absolutely no rough in that Melbourne pitch. I'm not sure if Mitchell Stark would have made much of a difference, but being left-arm over, he could have created some rough for the off-spin and Nathan Lyon. Plus, he's just so effective against the tail, Rambo. Have you ever seen a, a fast bowler just be so effective about just dismissing tailenders? They call him a mop for the reason. He just cleans up the tails, doesn't he? Um, best I've seen at it since uh, Wakara Yunus, I think, was quite good at it. Yeah, kind right. Hurtling in and get the old ball to reverse in and aim for their toes. I think you know, there's been a lot said about tailenders getting hammered with bounces in this series. It's the ones who bowl at their feet that are the problem for them. They can't keep those out. Yeah. They can get out of the way of the ones who go at their head or fend them off, but uh, the feet's no good. It's just So uh, yeah, that's what he does, isn't he? Zeroes in on them, um, gets it to swing late and fast, and even good batters struggle with that one, let alone the, uh, the blokes down the back end. Now, uh, the morning of day five in Melbourne, Australia, announced that Ashnaga will join the squad for the Sydney Test match, making it 14 Man squad, so the two spinners, Agar and Lyon, if Stark doesn't play, or maybe he does play, can you see two spinners playing? Remember, we're looking at the SCG now, we're looking at the pitch. Uh, hard to tell from up here, but we haven't had any first-class cricket on this summer and a completely new outfield. There's a new curator, lots of unknowns. Um, Agar, second spinner, they seem to like to play one here in Sydney. Can you see that happening? Uh, I think if there's any doubt over Mitchell Stark, then probably they would be looking at uh, an a second spinner. Um, it might mean that Mitchell Marsh has to bowl a few more overs as the the third seamer. Um, but I assume they've they have done it before. Where they've brought people into the squad here uh, for, for development. I think Ashton Agar himself was one last year. They've just brought him in to be around the group before they went to India for the tour. Um, but this time there seems to be that he's in their plans to to play if needed. Um, he's uh, a pretty handy bat as well because they. If they lose Mitch Stark, they do lose a little bit in the the tail end batting. He's uh, comes in at number eight and does provide a little bit of batsmanship. So certainly Agar could fill that role, and he's very good in the outfield. Um, but uh, we don't know about this pitch, do we? They've played left arm spinner Stephen O'Keefe here the last couple of tests. Um, this one could do anything. It's uh, it's the mystery pitch. It is the mystery pitch, Rambo. A uh, couple of players under pressure in the Australian team: Cameron Bancroft and Usman Khawaja Bancroft. Averaging just a tick under 30 in Usman Khawaja, 27. Both say they're in good form. Both say they're hitting the ball well. They're not worried about all these outside distractions. But with that test series of uh, of South Africa coming up in late February, I'm sure they want to get a score to cement their spot and get on that plane over there. Uh, it's an interesting little decision they'll have to make on that because uh, it's not like without precedent. Matthew Renshaw was averaging 36, I think, in test cricket before he lost his spot at the start of this summer. Admittedly, he wasn't going so well in shield cricket, so I think they picked him on the... or didn't pick him on the basis of that form. Um, but then you look back to previous test tours recently where they pick a team that they think will su- succeed in 
specific conditions. Um, South African conditions are notoriously similar to Australian conditions. So if Cameron Bancroft and Usman Khawaj have struggled against quality seam bowling on these pitches, you'd have to think that they're going to get pretty much the same when they get to South Africa. So Against... Stain, Philander, Morkel, Rabada, some pretty good fast bowlers. Exactly, exactly, in pitches that aren't going to be dissimilar to what they've been. In fact, they'll probably be faster than the ones we've seen here because it'll be later in the summer over there. Um, or whether you then consider replacement players, but because there's no shield cricket between now and the time that that squad is going to be announced, as near as I can tell, then uh, what can you pick that on? What form can you look at and the players they picked for this series were the form players in the first few rounds of shield cricket. So uh, it's a tricky one. Um, you'd have to think that on balance, Bancroft would probably survive. They, you know, He showed a, a bit in that first test as to what he can do. Um, and he's a fairly committed, hard-working sort of bloke. But um, you just wonder whether they, if they do bring an extra batter in for that squad and he fails a couple of times, whether they look at making a swap or bringing someone in. If someone's then making shield runs in Australia, do they... Uh, just jet them in. That would uh, be that would be unprecedented. It would, and like we said about Cook, I mean, you only replace these guys if people are doing better below them. And at the moment, it's kind of tough to see anybody forcing their way in. Uh, I'm sure Marsh has made a real fist of it coming back into the Test team. Uh, Kawaja is an interesting one because he doesn't seem to get picked on uh, on tours of Asia and the subcontinent. Um, and so he's had such a great and terrific record at home when it doesn't quite go his way in conditions where he's expected to flourish, then it starts worrying about his full term. He's like his, his overall test career, and if he can't dominate in Australia like he has been, and he's not getting picked in conditions that spin, so where does that leave him? Uh, true, and the uh, the concern that's been aired in the recent past is, you know, he's because he's been in and out of the team, does he think that he's playing for his spot every time? Should they give him a, an extended run at uh, number three berth? Um, maybe that's what they do, take him to South Africa. He hasn't looked horribly out of form. He's sort of looked in patches to be hitting the ball reasonably well, but he just finds a way of getting out. Um, and uh, I think that's just, he's a victim of the way he plays, a bit a bit like a Mark War. He sort of looks so comfortable at the crease that when he does get out, it looks like he's been lazy or um, has not been paying due attention. So maybe they do give him a chance in telling him he's in for all three tests in South Africa that this is his chance to stand up against you know, one of the best seam attacks in the world and make that number three spot his own. Um, if he can't do it, then perhaps... Uh, his position is in doubt long term. He got that 100 two summers ago now, uh, last summer I suppose, uh, and pink ball against Rabada and the South Africans, so he has done well against them and you would expect that Rabada will be firing up for them over there in South Africa along with these other mates and it's going to be tough work but a pink ball under lights against Rabada probably doesn't get a whole lot tougher so he, he's got the runs on the board so to speak. Uh, Pat Cummins, he uh, he's had a great sort of first home test summer, hasn't he, Rambo? He's taken the, the 15 wickets in, in four test matches at 30. He's been fast. He's been furious. He wanted to be that hostile spearhead and bounce a living bejeebus out of the England batsman. I think he's pretty much done that, hasn't he? He's And he's also uh, shown himself to be a, a quasi-all-rounder. He bats a bit down yeah. the order, takes his batting quite seriously by the looks too. He likes to he puts a bit of a price on his wicket. Um, yes, if he hadn't played that one test in South Africa six years ago, whatever it was, you'd say, what an exciting young talent. Where's he come from? Um, but as I think probably the most pleasing thing for him, certainly in his mind, would be that he's got through four tests back-to-back um, without any suggestion that he's uh, struggling with injury. I'm sure he's got some sore spots like any fast bowler would, but um, 
his pace did drop that day at the MCG when he was clearly struggling with uh, some sort of stomach bug. Um, but if that's the worst of his kind of melodies for the summer, I'm sure he'd be pretty happy because uh, he's just come charging in. I know Steve Smith likes to throw him the ball too whenever he's looking for a, a breakthrough, whenever there's a partnership starting to form. He seems to be the man that he thinks he can just come powering in and uh, change the dynamic a bit. So uh, he's been a bit of a, a standout this summer. It'd be good for him to play a test in front of his home crowd. He's very excited about Rambo told us today exclusively and us along with all the cameras and other 15 other... And anyone else who was listening. Reporters, yeah, all those journalists there. Now, for England, there's only one big selection issue uh, in their 11 at the moment and that, and that is Moen Ali. Now, Moen Ali, um, he's put up Smith-like numbers, unfortunately, in the wrong categories. He's, <laughs> he's averaging 135 with the ball. He's only taken three wickets in four test matches. Uh, and with the batties only scored 136 runs at 19.42. And Nathan Lyon, the Australian GOAT off-spinner, has got him six out of seven times. Talk is that Mason Crane, the leg spinner, who has played here at the SCG for New South Wales last summer, he might come in and make his debut. But it's been pointed out in the press box I overheard just before. I mean, if, they think, if they expect the pitch to spin, they probably want to have two spinners. They want Moeen and Crane there. So who comes to Tom Curran, who made his debut, in Melbourne, does he come out of the side? I can't imagine that Wokes broader Anderson would, would would miss out. So there's a couple of little uh, selection quandaries there. Which way do you think they'll go, Andrew? Um, yeah, you'd think you'd stick with Moen if he's batting had shown something, but the innings he played uh, in Melbourne was quite curious, I think, where he came out and showed like he didn't really want to be there for any length of time because he uh, took on the quicks and Nathan Lyon. It was almost like he didn't, didn't expect that he'd last long, so he thought he should swing like a rusty gate while he was out there. Um, so maybe they just decide that if if his batting was all right, then he could, they could almost play him as the second spinner, He'd be, he, which seems to be more his role. He, certainly from what he's shown here, his bowling hasn't been threatening, but he can be quite tidy. So if you had a, an attacking spinner, which I assume the leggy would be, um, then you could play Moeen as a backup spinner, but I don't know if he offers much with his batting. Um, maybe... I don't know if Mason Crane bats. Does he... Uh well, he does bat. I'm not sure. Oh, he can bat. He can bat. So maybe if they, they don't lose a lot, if they make that change, I don't know. I'd, I don't know if they've got an extra spin option that they could consider as... Joe Root maybe might be able to bowl a few overs as their second spinner. Well, they have been using Dawood Milan, who I know was working with Stewie McGill, the former Australian leg-spinning guru, out the back in the nets earlier on today. Um whether they, that was a suggestion that they might be looking at him to bowl a few overs instead. So I don't think the, the Test Series is gone. You're playing in on a pitch that uh, Mason Crane knows a bit about. It's a pitch that traditionally does aid spinners. Why not throw him in, see what you've got? They've done it here before with uh, spinners at the end of a tour um, or even some other bowlers at the end of a tour when they've lost. Throwing them in for that fun final test. Most of them disappeared without trace after that. I think Scott Borthwick, did he play a test here when uh, oh, never played Borthwick, again? yes. I may be misremembering Boyd that. Rankin, I think he might have played in that Boyd game. Rankin yes, played yes. one uh, in here uh, at the end of a tour and was never seen again. And it's the Sydney property development theory that uh, when in doubt, throw on a crane. So I think they should go with it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> um, it what that article really exposes it, just the, the massive gaping hole that Ben Stokes has left. I mean, really, this whole series, is, the complexion of this whole series has changed when he... Well, allegedly hit those blokes in a, outside a, a Bristol nightclub, um, as uh, I think it was Alistair Cook said in Perth. The world of cricket, or especially the England cricket, changed 
that night in September after or that morning in September when when Stokes got involved in that incident uh, if if he was here then they could play the four samers and just they could drop Moen it would be no issue and they could just put a, put a spinner in but because he's there and he has to bat and he has to bowl spin as well it's just such an issue and he's been just removed from the one day squad so we don't know if we'll see him in Australia at all this summer and now the next test tour for England is New Zealand what we see him over there no closer to a verdict over there in England um it, I mean, this series is going to be remembered for a lot of things, but I don't think it should be forgotten that Ben Stokes wasn't here. Uh, yes, I think we'll be remembered for the tour that he wasn't on. Um, and I think, he, as you say, this, like they've lost two players out of their squad and two of their best players out of their squad because you know, his batting is not just good, it's kind of dynamic and it changes the pace at which the innings unfolds. You know, he comes in and he scores quickly and he shows that intent. He's bowling... He's not the fastest, uh, and he's certainly not the the best bowler. But he does, you know, at least one of these a bit like a Pat Cummins. You know, he gets stuck into the opposition, and if there's something that's, you know, the game's just petering along, he's the guy that can change the dynamic and um, get up people's noses. And he that, apparently that's what he brings to the dressing room as well. That really sort of competitive spirit and uh, helps lift those around them when things aren't going so well. So they've kind of missed all three elements of that, um, and it's shown a bit that they've come close to winning some important sections of test matches but when they've fallen short they've crumbled a bit you know their batting's fallen away quite quickly they've dropped their heads in the field um whereas he's the sort of player that can probably resurrect them from that so yeah it, it'll be but no one quite knew what the value was going to be when he wasn't going to be here and i think it's been revealed that uh, you're never going to know if they would have got closer but they certainly would have been a better team if he was on board oh absolutely so it's three nil rambo one test to go uh England showed a lot of fight, but you reckon with Australia knowing it's their, their last test match of the summer, last Ashes, they might throw everything into this one, especially if Starks come back, he'll want to fire up. Uh, which way do you see the test match heading? With Like we said, a lot of unknowns. We don't know what's going to happen in this pitch, but we don't know who's going to play, but which way can you see the game going? Get the crystal ball out. Yeah, well, it's, it's easy to, to predict, obviously, when you don't know who's going to be involved, what surface they're going to be playing on, or what the weather's going to be like, what the ball might do, how things might pan out. So clearly... We know some things. There should be are some, 11 each side. There are known unknowns, <laughs> uh, but I think the unknown unknowns outnumber the uh, known unknowns. So therefore, I think I can say with some certainty that Australia will win and they'll do it inside four days. Here's this week's Backward Point. Rambo, since you've been gone, we've introduced a new segment called Backward Point. Uh, normally it's for um, sort of interesting, quirky topics that we bring up, you know, backward points, something a little bit weird, but this one's going to be a little bit more serious, and it's about the ball and the use of reverse swing. We saw in, in Melbourne the ball started to reverse swing at, at, at various stages. Uh, both sides were warned about throwing the ball into the rough to, uh, the rough patches around the wicket and the wicket square to try and get the ball a bit dustier and rougher and try and get that ball to reverse swing a little bit. Uh, a lot of headlines out of that incident and various things around that test match. But on a flat wicket, Rambo, when there's not much going on, what do you think about the bowling team, the fielding team being able to do, within the law of the game, the spirit of the game, being able to do whatever they like to the ball to generate some reverse swing? Because if it's, the ball's not doing anything on a flat wicket, as Steve Smith showed and Mitchell Marsh showed, it's very hard to get wickets. Uh, well, if you look at it, the need for cricket to entertain uh, then I think there needs to be something done but you can't just have a game like the one in Melbourne where the ball does nothing if it's not going to swing conventionally with the atmospherics and the, the pitch conditions don't allow it to swing 
it doesn't move off the surface, off the seam, then it really does become a, an uneven battle. Uh, one, the team is bowling is clearly disadvantaged because they don't. So if they want to try, you know, bouncing the ball in um, and scuffing up one side to see if it reverse swings, I think they should be able to do that within reason. Like, you, you don't, as has happened in recent games in Australia where someone scratched it along the concrete guttering to uh, try and get some rough going on one side of the ball. I think you have to draw the line there. I'm not a fan of uh, players taking out uh, small pocket tools like mini angle grinders that they then take to the ball in a quiet moment. Um, yeah, there have some people who have been known to carry sandpaper uh, on the inside of their trouser pockets, things like that. We can't well, allow that to happen. No, but, uh, um, but natural... Natural attrition. Yeah, you know. And I think uh, you get a bit of leniency, a leniency within the ICC playing conditions. Maybe you then forfeit your right to have the ball changed. If you want to c- persist with banging it into the pitch, throwing it in on the bounce to the keeper, um, along across the wicket square, when it goes out of shape, you then umpires can say, well, this is of your doing. You've been uh, treating the ball poorly, so therefore... Yeah, this is something that is a result of that. You just have to live with it until the next new one's available after 80 overs. So there might be a little bit of uh, rub both ways, so to speak. Um, obviously, if it starts to fall apart during some sort of manufacturing issue, then you can change it. But um, maybe they can consider that. You, know, you can throw it in, treat it uh, as you will within reason, but uh, you forfeit your right to then complain when it goes out of shape and doesn't do the things you want it to do. Um, because... Something has to change about that. With that test, was just a became a little bit of a, a snore fest by the end, to be honest. And if their teams are clever enough to be able to manufacture a way of getting the ball rough on one side and can then make it swing reverse, which does becomes a pretty exciting phase of the game when that starts happening, um, then good luck to them. They should be able to do it. Absolutely, and it's another skill. I mean, to be able to get it, to be able to get the ball if you're if they are throwing it into the wicket square into the rough parts. To be able to, what they call it, UFOing it, access So you're it. telling me that they can throw the ball in from the fence and make sure that it lands on the rough side every time? Well, that's why I'm saying this is another skill. And, you know, it only takes one bad throw to stuff up. It could be hours of, of good work. If they get the ball on the wrong side and the shiny side all of a sudden hits the rough patch and a big patch of leather comes off the ball and then it stops swinging reversal conventionally, then bad luck. You've got to do it. But, I mean, if you can, if you can do that, like you said, not only to just to get it to one side to get rough but you've actually then you've got to be able to bowl or reverse swing I mean just because one side's rough doesn't mean the ball's going to swing you've got to be able to be able to do it I don't see how that's just not part of of, of the game anyway like if it's, no. an, if it's an abrasive surface if you're in India or the subcontinent on an abrasive wicket balls reverse swing more because the, the, witches are, the wicket's abrasive What's not, what's not stopping that abrasive service being a foot outside either part of the wicket? Uh, then can't you just run in and bowl, bang it into the wicket and bowl it so that it hits the, the rough side for six overs on end and scuffs it up? That's legitimate, isn't it? You could do that. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it either. No. I don't know how it's done. I don't even know how to UFO it. I thought that was something that was uh, NASA was looking into. But clearly, as we say, there's some things are rocket science and reverse swing is one of them. Now it's time for play it or leave it. Now, Rambo, if you reckon, if you think uh, the backward point was an exciting new segment, we actually have another one. It's called Nothing play- stays the same in this podcast, no, does no, it? Like, no. you, you step away We're for eight or forward. nine months and suddenly the whole format's changed. We're moving forward. 
your research team has been hired and uh, redistributed into the creative team and they're creating these new segments. When they're good at research, that's good that they've got a skill. We've got a, we've got a new um, pitch report one coming called Under the Covers, so stay tuned for that. Now, in play to leave it, Rambo, uh, I'm going to bowl you a statement and you are going to either play it or let it go through the keeper. All right, your first one is, like we said, we know a lot about this test match, don't we? <laughs> so more than 10 wickets to four to spin in the match. Oh, given there's a potential of being four spin bowlers, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'm playing that one and I'm, I'm knocking that down to deep extra cover for two. Okay, more than 10 wickets, all right. Now, Steve Smith, who said he, uh, David Warner missed out on becoming the fourth player ever to score twin hundreds a match. Now, Steve Smith has a chance to become the fourth player as well ever to score four centuries in an Ashes series. He's got three alongside... Herb Sutcliffe, Wally Hammond, and Dob Brabber. Now, you saw all those guys play. Can Steve Smith become the fourth player and join that elite list? Oh, I'm going to put that into the O'Reilly stand. That's an absolute certainty. There's nothing surer than Steve Smith coming out on his home pitch in a test match where he's already secured the Ashes in the form of his life against a bowling attack that's been uh, trundling away for you know, months in Australia without much luck. Uh, I reckon that, I don't know if it'll come on day two, day three, or day four, but uh, maybe all of them. There'll be a century from Steve Smith on one or all of those days. Now, we must say that there was a, a, an unusual occurrence here today, remember, that Steve Smith didn't train. The Australians had a training session. Apparently, he's got to be a sore back, but it's probably no surprise. He's, how many balls has he faced this summer? About a million, and he's hit most of them out of the middle. And I'm pretty sure that he'll be in the nets tomorrow, probably from first light through until the time that it gets dark. Uh, I think he works on a quantity basis, so he would have had his rations. Uh, he'll take both serves tomorrow. 19 dismissals. That's how many Tim Payne has this series. The Australian wicketkeeper. He needs six more dismissals to join Rod Marsh, Ian Healy, Adam Gilchrist and Brad Haddon as the only wicketkeepers to, uh, to snatch or to record 25 dismissals in an Ashes series. Now, the uh, plan to leave it one is he won't get there. He needs six. What happens if I choose to leave it? Do I have to provide an answer? Yeah. You don't think he'll get there? Well, if you leave it, this one, you'll say that he will get there. Well, that's tricky, isn't it? It is tricky. Isn't that's it? Re- is that reverse that's swing? Re- <laughs> I've been scuffing this ball up. So. I thought you had, but I didn't see that come out of the hand. No, I don't think he will. I think he'll get to, he won't, he'll, he'll finish one short. So you're going to play at it? I'm going to play at it. Is that what I mean? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know, it's based on absolutely no science other than the fact that I think it's a lot of dismissals for one game. And the ball hardly got past the bat in Melbourne, so I can't even picture how that would happen. Mm. All right. Now, David Warner, last year in this corresponding fixture against Pakistan, set a new record. He scored 100 before lunch on the opening day. Matty Renshaw's down the other end, about 13, I think, (laughs) by the time they called lunch. Um... That might have been uh, lightning striking. Will it strike twice, Rambo? Dave wanted to, to do it again and score 100 before lunch on the opening day. No, I'm going to leave that one. I, I really, only because he was plodding along in Melbourne, scoring at, what it was, 28, 29 runs per 100 balls faced. If pretty he quick can, in the first innings. Not that quick. Uh, I mean, the way he was batting at the end, he was... He would have been lucky to have scored 100 before New Year, let alone before lunch. <laughs> and this was on December 30. Uh, so I, I wouldn't put it past him. I, did, I think the England 
plan of attack has always been to dry, dry up runs if they suddenly start bleeding at the rate that Pakistan were on the first morning here a year ago, they'll do something about it. Um, I don't think they're just going to stand there and cop it like uh, the Pakistanis did. Uh, they didn't seem to have any answers and just been on the attack thinking he'd make a mistake. They'll plug up any possible hole and you'd dry him up. So I can't see that happening. Four years ago, Australia made it 5-0 here on this ground and... Well, they took that last week at Nathan Lyon, got the team together, and they sung underneath the Southern Cross, the team song in the middle of the... Of the that's SCG. not underneath the Southern Cross, the very good book that's just come out. I'm not sure I haven't read that one, but uh, do you want to get another plug in there? <laughs> oh, no, I just thought, I just wanted to clarify. Fill your stockings for Christmas 2018. Uh, it's all relevant. Um, yes, they just they, Nathan Lyon led the team song out there in the middle of the SCG in the pitch immediately after taking that last wicket. They're 3-0 up now. They make it 4-0 with a victory. Nathan Lyon to do it again. I I reckon I'd leave that one too because it doesn't seem to be the same sense of uh, euphoria around this. I think they're very satisfied with what they've done. They've, it's been a, a great achievement to have won three in a row and secured the Ashes, but there just doesn't seem to be that same. You know, Back then it was the excitement of Mitch Johnson and his big moustache and... Uh, they knocked them over inside three days here, didn't yeah. they? The, and that yep. test, and you know, rattled through them in the second innings uh, as if they weren't there, um, which lent itself to that celebration. I, I just can't foresee the circumstances where they would come out and do that. They may decide that it's was worked so well for them here four years ago. They want to replicate it, but as an organic thing, as people like to say, I, I don't think. I think they might do a more considered version, perhaps. Uh, set up on the steps of the Opera House, invite a crowd in, uh, you know, have a backing band, mm. make a bit more of a production of it, a bit more of a considered number and, and do it there. All right, final one, Rambo. Last year we saw uh, 100 before lunch. We saw many Renshaw's queries made in Test Match 100, lots of firsts. We also saw a cult hero emerge. Mickey Edwards on the field on the final day. Long flowing blonde locks. He became a cult hero. Actually, it was a fair crowd on that on that last day against Pakistan last year. Uh, will we see? We will see another cult hero emerge from somewhere. Oh yes, I think I'm. Uh, I'm definitely uh, taking that one on and uh, hooking it round over square leg uh, on the bounce for one. Um, I don't know who the cult hero will be. I think Mickey's got a brother, but I think I gather he's off playing in the under-19s at the moment, is he? So. Mm. Um, but it's Sydney, like it's it's all show, it's all glitz, it's very LA, isn't it? There'll be someone walking past the ground at some stage on the you know, late in the game, and they just get to tap on the shoulder and say, "Can you come out and subfield for a while?" It might be Mo Matthews. It might be Mo <laughs> Matthews. Um, in which case, we'd be going to an entirely different dimension. But uh, oh, there'll be some surfy kid, some you know English backpacker might come out yeah. and field for England because they've only got about thirty-eight in their squad at the moment. So. Uh, they'd be looking for someone to come out and do a bit of subfielding late in the game, and maybe there could just be some sort of um, crowd uh, involvement exercise where you just draw a lucky number, you can field. I'm not trying to diminish the importance no. of Test cricket, obviously, but um, we've seen the Masur do it. He's been. On the we've field. seen many people do it in, in uh, extreme cases. So I'd like to see someone get out there, um, create a little bit of inf- and Maybe they might take a catch. Yeah, we've seen that in Ashes Test up in Brisbane. You know, the the subfielder comes on and takes a catch. Uh, yep. There was a run out in Adelaide years ago when a young fellow called Ben Johnson came out, swooped on the ball at cover. It was later found to be an Olympic drug cheat, but that didn't matter. <laughs> he got there quick, didn't he? <laughs> That's what fooled them. <laughs> yeah.
Uh, Rambo, thank you so much for coming on and uh, making 2018 um, the year of the Unplayable podcast by uh, launching it in such grand fashion. Uh, absolute pleasure to be back, Sam. And I must admit, I, I barely recognised it's changed so much. Don't they grow up? <laughs> they do. Well, before you go, have you got any New Year's resolutions? Uh, yes, I've decided I'm going to spend as much time as I can doing podcasts. <laughs> this one? Oh, I've got to start somewhere. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. We're going to be back to review the entire Ashes series and preview the Gillette ODI series. But until then, head to cricket.com.au for all your cricket news, scores and video. 